0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Novak Djokovic, Gabriella Sabatini, and today's guest. The new Young Line sneaker they rolled out is tremendous. It is my favorite walk-around shoe. Check them out at sergiotacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. She got to 64 in the world in singles, and in 2000 was ranked number one in the world in doubles. She won six Grand Slam titles and represented Australia in four consecutive Olympic Games. She is a broadcaster for ESPN and the host of the Racket Magazine podcast. Renee Stubbs is today's guest. Renee, Renee, what is happening?
1: What's up, Craig? We're on uh, East Coast, West Coast time.
0: Now, little known fact you were a Takini contract. Did you win any big-time matches in Takini? Uh,
1: well, let's see. I won a couple of doubles tournaments that year. I think it was 92. I'm aging myself. But I, I definitely have a photo of me standing holding a doubles trophy with Steffi Graf in Hamburg that year. Uh, and the extent of my contract was, uh, hey, do you want free clothes? And I said, hey, yeah, I'll take free clothes.
0: <laughs> 100, 100%. The,
1: Renee Stubbs was not signing. We, I was not signing big contracts with uh, Sergio Dekini, but I did, en- I did enjoy the free clothing situation.
0: As you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report, and I know the French has begun, but I want to talk about, you made a trip to Washington, D.C. this past week upon learning of you know, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'd like you to tell us about that.
1: Yeah. um, So I was literally sitting on my couch uh, the morning after she passed away. I I, I had uh, friends over to my apartment and my neighbors were out on their balcony. And my neighbor told me about it. My neighbor called me over and told me that she'd passed. And then my friends walked in the door like five minutes later. We're all crying. It was like, just, I don't know. It felt like, it felt like our Shiro, you know, had uh, gone and left us. And obviously not at a, optimum time um but there's never an optimum time to lose somebody of such significance but to lose her a couple months before the election knowing the state of um her passing on the supreme court we just were just overwhelmed And, and being you know a part of the lgbtq community it's she was such a fighter for equality for us and and for women so it was Difficult, and so the next morning I was sitting on my couch, and I am friends with Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I've had her on my podcast, and I just texted her. And I said, "I think I'm going to come down to the Supreme Court and just sit on the steps." And she said, "Great, uh, I'll pick you up from the train station. I'll go. I'll meet you there." <laughs> so I did. I just got on the train and I went down, and I just felt like I had to be there, Craig. I just felt like I had to um, be present in that situation. And she had a. They had a memorial for her a vigil for her that night that um, was put on by Nayral, And um, I was there with Senator Gillibrand and uh, she ended up getting up and talking off the cuff, literally with no preparation. So it was pretty great to be there and see my friend um, talk so candidly and so openly um, and amazingly about uh, such a, such a champion of uh, equal rights. Um, so it was a pretty incredible couple of days that I was down in DC um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I did it.
0: Did you learn anything from the senator with regards to just politics uh, moving into these next, next you know, I guess next eight weeks is really <laughs> what I want to know about.
1: You know, not not too much. We don't get into the minutiae part of uh, her work just because it's like she's had enough of it after twelve day, 12 hours of being in anywhere near the Congress. Um, But I I will say that, you know, it's definitely, um, she's very concerned about the state of this country and the divisiveness in this country. Um, And uh, someone who is a senator that really reaches across the aisle has done a lot of um, bipartisan work with bills that she's passed. Uh, You know, I think she would like to get back to that. I mean, I just asked her how she was doing in general. And she said, you know, honestly, it's been tough. Um, Mitch McConnell's making life nightmare for people to try and move things forward in a bipartisan way and it becomes i would imagine a bear to go to work every day having to fight that system um and trying to get things changed and passed and concerned about you know the public um and this pandemic and you know people are in dire straits right now having to deal with not having jobs and all sorts of things so i can't imagine being in the congress and in the senate right now trying to fight the good fight because there's a there's a there's a few uh men that are really making it very difficult for everyone to do the right thing
0: and uh you know we talk a lot in tennis about toughness and creativity and and particularly now athletes fighting for what's right and there was nobody more heroic than Ruth Bader Ginsburg
1: no nobody I mean uh, I've literally sat, I mean, I, I've seen everything on her. I've read so much about her. Um, and I just think there was just, just not a classier, more dignified, more incredible person. And, you know, everyone's like, well, I mean, I had a couple of people go at me at Twitter about, Oh, you know, she only fought for women. And I'm like, what are you joking? She fought. For, I mean, look at her cases. She fought for equality. And I think it. if you saw her, um, Memorial the other day when uh, the, um, when they spoke about her, the rabbi spoke about you know, her, her, her whole goal in life was really to form equality across the board. And, and I said, yeah, she had to fight for women more than men because guess what? <laughs> women are the ones that, that have been discriminated against in this country for so long. I mean, she was so smart and cagey the way she did it in, in, in just in the fact that her first major case in the Supreme Court was fighting for a man was fighting for the equal rights for a man to get um, benefits after his wife passed away in childbirth, you know? And the the recognising the importance of that and made such a difference in the world to fight for equality across the board. It wasn't just fighting for women. It was really the way she did it was just brilliant. And she was so soft-spoken and so thoughtful. And I love the way she spoke about even... um, you know, her, her friendships and, uh, yeah, she was, she was, a she was a shero. Um, she should be somebody that people really study.
0: And for our listeners, um, if you have not seen the documentary, the notorious RBG, uh, highly recommend. Let's move into our second set. Uh, this is the on the court report. I mean, just so much to talk about, but first and foremost, are you ready for another major?
1: I know, it's crazy, isn't it? I'm looking at uh, the French Open, and all I can see is how bloody cold it is. (laughs) So I say, you wanted to have the French Open in September uh, going into October, then you have to recognize it's going to be really, really frigging cold over there. Um,
0: And, and, you know, just just to to that point, it's interesting. In May, when you're in Paris, the sun stays up in the sky till 9.45. You know, they play tennis till late which speaks to the fact that it's kind of north. It's more north than, you know, it, the sun doesn't stay up in the sky in New York City till 945. So part of me, you know, they, they, they have harsh weather and we are seeing that certainly right now.
1: Yeah, we are. And it'll be interesting to see how it affects certain players. And there's no question in my mind that like Rafa, it's going to hurt Rafa. It's not going to be great for him um, because the conditions are super heavy. And but but isn't it He likes true? the ball bouncing. He likes the ball bouncing up high. He likes the ball flying off his racket. He likes, um, you know, his lefty game can really take advantage on a hot day. And, and and with the balls, they're going to be heavier. They're going to be more difficult to put away for everybody. And the ball's not going to be jumping up like it like it normally does for him. So it'll be interesting to see what guys can take advantage of these conditions. And somebody that I think that can probably help is someone like a Dominic Team, to be honest.
0: Okay, so Rafa trashed the ball. Um, are, are is anybody in Paris telling you any anything interesting about the balls, the conditions? The, is it a shit show over there?
1: No, I haven't really. Um, I haven't really, uh, you know, gone into detail with any players about it. Um, I think when I'm not working for ESPN or I'm not, um, you know, there, I'm sort of I'm sort of removed uh, from. I don't know. Not caring—that's the wrong word—but I'm I'm removed from from you know wanting to know the the minutia of the event just because you know when you're commentating you have to know all those things you have to really really hear what the players are saying. Um, now for future, yeah, I want to know how the result you know how, why the results happen and a lot it is has to do with did they change the balls? You're telling me shit I don't know. This is great. great.
0: Yeah, so it's so it's uh they the the ball was been a Babelot ball and now it's a Wilson ball. The Wilson ball at the U.S. Open, th- that ball, and I, I know you've hit that ball, that ball doesn't bounce. That ball stays low. That's a kind of a heavy ball. That ball wears out quickly. Wilson made yeah. the, Wilson made the clay court ball. And, I mean, for Rafa to trash the ball, Rafa trashed the ball in a press conference. I mean, devastating for Wilson, but also – Interesting, right?
1: Well, it's funny because you know it depends on the player, right? I'm surprised to hear that. It, it, it must be the guy's ball at the U.S. Open, uh, and the comparative to the ball at the French Open, maybe heavier, maybe difficult. But like someone like Sam Stosur, for example, she so loves the ball at the U.S. Open, which is obviously why she won the tournament, and she hates the ball at the Australian Open. She's like that ball just doesn't do enough for me. And whereas at the U.S. Open, the ball flies and it's jumps, so. The women's ball at the U.S. Open must be different because Sam and Rafa play a similar game in the fact that they want the ball to spin off the court with the forehand and, you know, jump was for Sam with the kicker. So I'm surprised to hear that from Rafa considering he has won the U.S. Open a bunch of times. Um, but, you know, he's used to well, no, everything no, no, no. being the same. Hold like on. Let
0: me, let me stop you. The Rafa trashed the, the, the new French Open ball. He trashed... Yeah. yeah, he trashed the new French Open ball, which is... The Wilson ball, special for the clay. the 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 talk is is that the ball's heavy and the ball isn't. It's not bouncy. There was more action in the out ball, ball.
1: Yeah, but come on. Also, at the same time, you weren't playing in September, Rafa. You were playing in May, where it was hot and spicy, right? And the ball was jumping off the court for you. So it might not be the ball. It actually might be the conditions which is why I said the French Open played at this time of the year it does not bode well for someone like Rafa. He likes the ball to be jumping off the court. and He likes to be making players suffer getting that ball back into the court physically. So I think it helps someone like a Dominic team who can hit through, even if the ball's the size of a friggin' soccer ball, he can hit the shit out of that ball. Um, you know, someone like a Stan Wawrinka, for example, the guys that hit the ball a little bit flatter with a little bit more like juice on it, um, they're gonna they're gonna prefer to play Rafa in those conditions. Um not Wait. saying they're favorite, but they will definitely prefer it than the flightier conditions in May. But
0: isn't it true that the players that are gonna get to play six matches on Chatrier under the the roof have a wicked advantage? How how will the scheduling adjust to make it a fair fight, or it never is a fair fight?
1: Well, I think the only time it's going to be an advantage for them is if it, if it rains and they close the roof, right? Then it will be a huge advantage, obviously. Um, I don't think it'll be any, it, it won't, the conditions are the same if the roof is open. So it doesn't matter if they're on Chartier or Langland or wherever. Um, the conditions will be the same. But if it rains, there's no question and they get behind the matches and the people that are on, but that's the same on every Grand Slam. and I guess. You know, people will bitch and moan about that. But at the same time, listen, when you earn the number one or two ranking in the world, you deserve, you get to go play out there. And if you want to bitch and complain about it, you better get your shit together and get, and get to be number one and two in the world. And then you'll get to play on that court all the time.
0: Let's back up for one second. No Ash Barty, no Belinda Bencic, no Bianca Andrescu. What can you tell me about no Ash Barty? Um, I'm just stunned that she's not defending her title.
1: I, I I'm saying this with all candor and all honesty. I have not spoken to Ash, so I do not know the reason why she decided not to play. Um, I I am a little surprised that she didn't want to go and defend the title, uh, because I think that's one of the most incredibly incredible honors that you can have as a Grand Slam champion is getting to go back and defend your title. But knowing Ash the way I do. She is the type of person that doesn't mind taking a year off. Let's put it that way, you know. And I think that she's probably um, I, I'll, I'll be this 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 I will be really honest about. If there's one player that would take an entire year off and not care about not having the recognition, not having the money, not having the you know the fan adulation or no fan adulation or or press or what and is happy being home playing 18 holes of golf every day right. and hanging out with her dogs and her family. It is Ash body. And a lot of these tennis players want to play because they want it. They want the money. They want the recognition. They, it's, an, it's their identity as a tennis player. Um, they like the Twitter loves them. And uh, you know, they they, 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 they hang for that. Right. Whereas Ash doesn't really give a shit. You know what I mean? I mean, this is a girl who, retired at uh, whatever it was what 19 or something right. and went away and played cricket like she she had won I think almost a million dollars a year before she retired so I think the bottom line is that Ash is that type of her like look I'm not really into it I don't really feel like it I don't want to play and she says okay I don't want to play now that doesn't mean that she's not she'll be super ready to go next year and she'll be ready to lay her lay it all back on the line again next year but I don't know. She's just a, she is a unique, unique human being in that respect.
0: What can you tell me about no Belinda Bencic? I mean, Belinda Bencic, a year ago, semi the U.S. Open. She really had Bianca Andreescu on the ropes. I thought she was gonna start making those kind of money moves that, you know, you work your whole career for, and she ain't, she's not around. Do you know anything about
1: her not being around? No, I have no idea um, why she's not around. I don't know. Did she, why did she pull out? Did she claim an injury? Or I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I didn't even to be quite honest with you, I didn't even know that. So that's yeah. a surprise to me. The only thing I can think of is that she's injured, um, because I mean, she can drive like two hours and be in Paris. So it's <laughs> not like it's a big deal for her. So no, I don't know why she's not not there. And- um, if there is an injury, she's had her fair share. Yeah. Um, then that's a, a real shame. Um, but look, you know, she's still young. She, she, As you said, she was really making a mark last year, this, this past 12 months. So hopefully she'll be back and hopefully she'll be ready to go.
0: And no Bianca is just, you know, it, that Never seems, seen. yeah, it's like such a tragedy, I, I, a tennis tragedy. Obviously there's, we all have bigger things to worry about in 2020, but as far as tennis goes to not have, Not to have her on on tour is a shame.
1: Yeah, it's devastating. It's really devastating. And, um, you know, she was lighting the world on fire last year. Um, Just such a unique um, player, unique mentally, unique the way she played, um, unique personality. Like, she was just it, right? I mean, she was... But, you know, this is why... Um, I always stress to people, like, you've got to strike while the iron is hot because anybody can get injured um, and things can happen. Um, and I think about someone like Coco Vandaway who was, like, playing so well, like, three years ago and really sort of setting a tone that she could win a Grand Slam. I mean, she was that good a player. Um, she
0: was eight. She was eight going into the 2019 Australian Open and she went from 8 to uh out of main draw tennis.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, look, I I still think that she hasn't you know, if she can physically get herself in in uh, shape, not shape because she was she's fit. Um it's more about just not having the injuries. And so it 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 happens it can happen to everybody, you know. This is why the longevity of Serena or um, <clears throat> Roger and Rafa and and Novak is just it's amazing, but they've all had their issues, you
0: know. Coco Vandeweghe, by the way, uh, was lights out in team tennis, and then sliced her finger and is you know w- is out. That doesn't get worse luck than that. No. Any uh, closing thoughts? I don't li- I don't like to break down the draws quarter by quarter, uh, section by section. Do you have any other thoughts about the tournament that uh, you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I, one thing I hate, to do, I hate is when, uh, you know, Tennis Channel or ESPN or whoever it is puts the projected quarterfinals. I'm like, dude, that is never going to happen. <laughs> I hate that. I'm like, let's look at um, maybe first rounds because that's the only thing that's guaranteed. Um, I think that it's going to be an incredibly interesting couple of weeks, just like it was at the US Open. Obviously, there's a few more fans um, in Paris, but um yeah it's a unique year Craig I mean you and I know that um and we'll see who comes out of it we'll see who fights through this
0: of keeping with the on the court motif did you get bumped to the A team uh, on the low at ESPN are you without any without any real fanfare uh, this past US Open did that happen
1: um, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, look, we're we're all one team. I do a lot of the ITV, which is all the direct TV um, stuff for them in the first week, which is why you don't see me a lot in the first week, just because I'm really got my hands tied doing all of that um, for the direct TV and the online ESPN plus stuff. Um, they use me a lot doing that. Um, and then the second week, I usually bump over to the main, uh, we call it the lineal channel linear t- channel. Um, but this year, because of the pandemic, I was there, obviously Pam was in California. Um, uh, uh, we had a couple of, uh, other people that are on the, you know, usually doing the A team as we call them, uh, had to go away for a couple of days. So I was like, really, I was very present there. It was just Chrissy and I that were the two female analysts that were present there the whole time. So they used me a lot more and I appreciate it. Like I, You know, listen, I love my job. I I love covering tennis. I love talking about it. I love being a part of it. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm really pleased that ESPN has uh, started to use me a lot more in their linear production um, side. So uh, I'll take it anytime.
0: Renee Stubbs, I tell you, you were were, uh, omnipresent uh, at the U.S. Open. Let's move into our third set. This is the part of our show where we talk about your career. I want to ask you about your really, I think, probably your best moment at the French when you finaled with Lisa Raymond. What are your great memories from that tournament?
1: Well, I like that you uh, posted that way. For me, it was a fucking tragedy. Uh, not winning the French Open in my oh. career. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's still a great thing to, to reach a final. I, I, I reached the mixed doubles final as well with Todd. Um, that was... That was almost more difficult to take because I think we were the better players, uh, the better doubles players anyway. I mean, we lost to a really good team in David Adams and uh, Marianne de Schwart, both very good in their day. Um, So I lost in two finals to the French doubles and mixed. uh, And it was tough. Um, We had and I did end up beating Rana Pascal and Suarez many times after that. Um, And Lisa and I had beaten them many times prior to that. Let me just
0: really stop, let me just stop you quickly. Virginia Ruana Pascal and Paula Suarez repeated that year. They, they, it, was, it was 2000. It was the turn of the century. You were playing with Lisa Raymond, who was just nominated to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, obviously, there's a vote. She's not in, but they put they put her name up. The ballot. They put her on the ballot, which really is a tremendous honor in and of itself who were you in 2000? I, we talked a little bit about it last time we talked. I think you said that you guys were fighting at that. Like you, you were not having a good moment when you No, so
1: it. it was not us. It was our coach at the time uh, who I still blame for that loss um, and will blame for that loss for the rest of my life because he decided to be a complete prick the day before and have arguments with us on the practice court. And then subsequently didn't talk to us until the next day and uh, like said one word in practice. So it was like this, whole like 24 hours of fuming with one another um, prior to a final of a French Open. And I can tell you now as a coach, if I did that and, you know, made, I was trying, you know, he was trying to make a point. I don't know what the point was um, because his job at the time was to get us prepared for that final as in a, in a good a space as possible. And I cannot imagine as a coach, not doing that, no matter how much my player pissed me off, I would make sure that they are in the right frame of mind going into a, into a grand slam final. And he did not. And so I, I still can't believe which is why he doesn't have a job on the tour anymore um, because you cannot do that. You have to take your selfishness out of any situation with a player. And if you don't want to work with them anymore because they pissed you off or they, you feel like they're, you know, not listening to you or whatever the reason, then you do it after the tournament is over. And then you say, listen, that's good. I've had my run with you and I'm getting out of here because you don't respect me, whatever it is. But you don't do it in the middle of, because, you know, you're getting paid. That's like, that's like you're not turning up for work, you know, um, so I blame it on him. I will for the rest of my life. Um, but having said that, we lost to a great team that ended up being one of the great teams of all time.
0: You, you played Navratilova and Natasha Zvereva in the first round who were wild oh. cards in. What are your memories of that? I mean, oh. to play Martina in in a Grand Slam is, I mean, it just sounds amazing.
1: Well, I can tell you, I, I can go back to that match like it was yesterday. And I remember Lisa and I just thinking, we cannot fucking lose this match against someone who's like twice our age, right? <laughs> no matter how great Martina Navratilova is, was, will always be our first thought was we cannot lose this match. And, of course, Natasha is very able, one of the great doubles players of all time. So, I mean, them together had won like 600 grand slams. So for us to lose to them, it wasn't like what a disaster because, I mean, two, two of the greatest players – I mean, Martina's the greatest doubles player of all time. And Natasha is certainly ranked right up there. But still, what a, what a rough first round. And to top it off, we were set all – and we had to finish because of darkness or rain or one of the two. And so we had to sleep on being a set all and having to come back the next day and play one set. And, you know, for anyone who's had to do that, it is not fun. It is not fun to sit on, you know, a match in the middle of a match and then to come back and have it all on the line in one set. But and I think we were the number one seeds or number two seeds at the time. So, uh <laughs> I mean, we had really
0: but you guys just snuck through that match, though. It's a, that was a tight third set.
1: <laughs> yeah, what was it, 6-3?
0: I think 6-4. I, 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 six six, I
1: mean, dude, I'm telling you, I, I was so nervous to win that match because I did not want to lose that match. And, you know, Lisa and I, as I said, I think we might have been the number one or two seeds. We were definitely one or two. And and I was just like, we can't lose this match. And and we ended up winning, which was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I got some pretty shitty first-round draws sometimes in doubles, even when I was seeded or – Defending champion. Well, then one year I came back and played the Williams sisters first round. Like, what the hell? Are you serious? I lost that one.
0: But now, now, do you have like an interesting memory of being on the court with Martina and being like, gee, she's so good?
1: Oh, yeah. How Uh, old
0: is she? Like,
1: (laughs) Martina was so good because, you know, she was obviously serving in volley and you get a great return. And she never missed the first volley. I mean, every ball always came back. So you knew she moved in the right place. She covered the right thing. Um, you know, the thing that she didn't have that was great was her second serve. You know, her second serve you could really take advantage of if she didn't hit a good one. The lefty helped her, but you know, and she didn't miss a lot of returns. She was so, she was just so solid. She was so good. She didn't have any weaknesses. Um, and so to beat her, you really had to hit two or three great volleys or two, two or three great shots or lobs and. So yeah, we had to work together as a, a team to win that match and we ended up doing that and obviously it helped us um, get through the tournament. Yeah.
0: The, I'm in the middle of the Jelena Dokic autobiography and to be honest, I'm kind of like numb even saying that out loud. Like I've been stunned at what I've read these first 35 pages, first 45 pages. My question to you is where were you during the middle of this situation? I imagine you had a front row seat for a lot of, a lot of it as an Australian player.
1: Yeah, I definitely had a front row seat to it all. I mean, she was obviously very, um, we, we didn't hang out at all cause she was always, you know, being pu- pushed and pulled by her father, literally. Um, so, so she wasn't social at all on the tour. Um, you know, and I, I, as you will see as the book goes on, there's an incident in Montreal where I was playing doubles with her and I basically had to go to the, I went to the, the door of her hotel to basically make sure she was going to play doubles with me the following day. And I saw immediately that she had bruises on her leg and I asked her, I said, if she, if she was okay. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And then we went. Yeah. Just
0: one second. So you said that you saw bruises on her
1: yeah i oh i definitely saw bruises on her leg and you know which is the reason why i asked her uh are you okay and she's like yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine knowing full well she wasn't okay, okay. she looked flustered and she looked stressed out and uh but you know we ran straight to the court and we uh, she ran to the court and we got on the court and we started hitting and warming up for a match and we lost a really tough three setter um to kim Kleiser's and i can't remember who kim was playing with at the time but um but yeah, and uh, she left the next day.
0: What, how did this go on for so long, into the pros, through juniors? I mean, this guy, Damir Dokić was, you know, an alcoholic, striking and hitting his child for years and years. How could that have continued?
1: But Craig, it went on behind closed doors, and you cannot do anything about that until the person that's being abused says I'm being abused and I need my father to be arrested. And she was obviously, you know, as she probably explains in the book um, couldn't do anything about it because she was fearful for her mom and fearful her, for her brother. And she was the primary breadwinner for them. And so, you know, she felt that this was the only way to survive in in some respects. And the only way for her family to survive was to put up with it. Um, so you know, unfortunately it's happened in tennis. I mean, Mary Pierce has talked very candidly about her dad being uh, also abusive towards her. Um, she talked about that on my podcast. Um, and it was terrible to hear. Um, of of, I saw it. I saw it with Mary. I actually saw him strike her one time. And I remember thinking, what the hell's going on? I was so young at the time that I didn't really understand the, the ramifications of that, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, you used to hit the kids. You know what I mean? Now I realize like, that's just, a, just a, tragic situation and it happens all the time on tour with with obviously with uh yelena it was happening behind closed doors and there was nothing we could do about it and we we all knew and we all talked to her about it at some point in her life and there's nothing can do until the child admits that it's happening and so that's what was happening
0: the the way it resolved was He was thrown off the tour, banned from the tour. And I guess Yelena was never quite the same. I mean, what a real tennis tragedy. Was anything ever sort of done? Is there like a dokic rule? Like, what are we doing about these out-of-control parents uh, in 2020 that maybe we weren't doing in 2002?
1: oh god we've gone to a point where if you want a badge on the WTA tour you've got to fill out all these forms and you gotta they do a background check on you and you know I mean even me as a coach when I started coaching I had to fill out that form you know so your social security number your everything goes on that thing and they they go into detail about finding about you um and so there's that's the only thing that the, the, the WTA can do like I said unless you are seeing it with your own eyes and reporting it and you have the corroboration of the player saying, yes, my father hits me. There's nothing we can do about it, Craig. It happens every single day, not on the tour, everywhere. This is a problem everywhere. Abuse is everywhere and control is everywhere. And some parents do it not physically, they may do it mentally and that's, you know, they're both bad, they're both terrible. Um, mentally, these, I see so many kids being ripped apart by mentally by their parents. It drives me friggin' crazy. And I see them and I see how terrified they are and how miserable they are and it sucks. And I, I'm gonna say this like to every parent out there that that's, that's how you are as a human being and you think that that's how you have to be to get your kid to be successful. You don't understand the ramifications and the damage you're doing for them for the rest of their life. Well, and, this,
0: this this Demir, terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. And this Demir Dokic situation, because I was bopping around on tour at that time, and we saw her, and she was this incredible ball striker. And, you know, it was not a secret that the father was an out-of-control person. How he wasn't dealt with in a more significant way is stunning.
1: Yeah, it is stunning, but as I said, we didn't see any of this face-to-face, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, she had to say, yes, this is happening, and she never did.
0: Uh, Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, and you say what comes in your mind. You ready? Yeah. Do you save your credentials?
1: Not all of them, but yes, I do. And where are they? I actually found them yesterday. There's, uh, I, was going, I was spring cleaning in uh, whatever this is. This is autumn, fall. Um, I was going through some stuff to find some Sydney 2000 memorabilia for some stuff. And I found my Sydney 2000 badge. I've got my 1999 Wimbledon badge. I've got all the ones that I won, 2001 Wimbledon badge, 2004. So all the ones that I won, those are the ones I keep.
0: Renee Stubbs, very selective about her credentials. Are they in a drawer, a box? Where are they?
1: They're in a bag in some, like, box. in a bag. Yeah.
0: Your current racket?
1: Babalat, pure storm. Love it.
0: Size size of your grip?
1: Four and three quarters.
0: Four and three ace.
1: Yeah, that. See, I don't even know. I'm like, yeah, this feels good. Um, right, you don't understand. I'm that player that was just like, yeah, this feels pretty good. Like let's go play.
0: So do you, I was going to ask you, is there a favorite racket that you played with? Is there a racket that you were like, shit, you know what? This was the greatest racket that I ever, I ever played Oh with.
1: God. I mean, I love the Prince Graphite Pro. The the the, the mid, the smaller one. I mean, was it 95? Oh, I just love that racket. But I won most of my grand slams with this ugly Prince. Uh, red and yellow. It was a small version of the one Jan Michael Gamble used to use. You remember that thing? I, I remember I mean, that racket. It looked like a snowshoe, but God, I loved it. It was stiff and it was awesome. And I loved it. And I play with synthetic gut. Like I mean, I had the shittest racket with the shittest strings and I, that's, bring it on. Let's go.
0: Renee Stubbs, the old school Prince player. Um, the most irresponsible thing you ever did with prize money straight out of the office?
1: Oh, God, that's a good one. Uh, I didn't do a lot of irresponsible things with my prize money. I will say that. Uh, I did. The biggest purchase I ever made was when I won my second Wimbledon. I bought a second hand with 10,000 miles on it, BMW 530. So it wasn't even irresponsible because I didn't buy it brand new. So there you go.
0: The most responsible you think we did with prize money?
1: Uh bought a house
0: fantastic i mean come on that's incredible um the best final eight club
1: oh well i don't want to piss anyone off you know um but wimbledon although let me tell you i've never been to it (laughs) because i'm always working and i'm always super busy but um i think to always know that you can get a ticket to wimbledon for the rest of your life is pretty cool
0: um novak Djokovic. uh
1: complicated and I mean, truly, wow, I mean, his career he's going to surpass everybody he, he's so good when he's good, but he is he is um a lightning rod, you know I mean, what happened at the u s open and I mean, I can't even think about Roger Rafa doing something like that, and then <laughs> it's just it's just unfathomable, but then again, Tim henman got default, and you can't imagine him doing something like that anymore.
0: are you down on Novak between the anti vax the 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 situation that happened on his Adria tour, the creation of a splinter faction, and then obviously getting deep. Are you down on him?
1: I'm down on the the players, um, the PTPR or whatever the hell it's called. I don't even know. Um, is that the PTPR? I, <laughs> I I don't know how you can call it a players' association. It should be the MP. T, P, R, whatever. It should be the male players because to try and start a, and you know, it's subsequently being told that, you know, he said in press on our stage, actually at ESPN, that you know that they've spoken to women. I'm like, but if you haven't, if, if there are no women that are outwardly saying they are fully behind this and I want to also be a part of this, i.e. a well-known player, not just some, player ranked 150 like a player like a top 10 player many of them signing on to this and saying I fully support this you shouldn't be going out at the US Open taking a stupid picture on the tennis court with 25 males standing there you cannot do that it is it's it is just so ridiculous to to think that you are doing the right thing by all players when you have no women vocally and publicly supporting this situation um, and getting in a photo that was so, you know, put out on the internet. So that I'm down on because if he is correct in saying that he's spoken to place and they're fully supportive of it, then get them on the record, get them on the TV, get them talking about it. And until that happens, don't talk about it. And the timing of it at the US Open was just, it was horrendous. I'm sorry. It was just horrendous. The USDA are trying their very darndest to put on an event and keep everyone safe. And you start doing stuff like that. It's just like, it's not the time, man. It's not the time. And I think it's a good idea. I want to put that on the record. I think the WTA and ATP and the players need a players union or whatever they want to call it. Um, we need to have more power. There's no doubt about it. Um, what the French open did just unilaterally putting on the tournament at a certain time without any talking to anybody or, you know, we need a players' union. There's no question about it. But you have got to do it the right way, and the way that it was done was not the right way, and it was not the right time. So that I'm was not, as you say, I was I was down on that. Um, as far as the anti vaxxing oh my God, it, it's just because he talks about it publicly. But there's probably plenty of players on tour that feel the same way that don't talk about it publicly. I just think when you're a superstar, you have got to be really careful what you talk about publicly. Yeah, he, I think that people, was the, there's people, Craig, that support him. So what are you going to do about I it? I think you that was you? the
0: crux of the issue: is that you know Ben Rothenberg kind of started reporting, like, hey, you know, when you have eight million followers and you, when you're the number one tennis player in the world, okay, that makes you one of the most famous people in the world. You can't yeah. talk about yeah, period. And
1: no, but but he fully believes it. So if you fully believe it. And you want to put it out there? OK, but then you also have to deal with the ramifications of it, right? No doubt. And so that, that is where I think he has to be um, a little more thoughtful in understanding that he's going to get blowback. And you know, his fans are vehemently behind him, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. And um, you know, um, But you have to be more, you have to be more strategic in, in how you do it, I think.
0: Serena Williams.
1: I mean, look, uh, it's, it's not getting easier. She just turned 39 yesterday or day before. And uh, it's becoming more and more difficult for her because, you know, everyone's really good. And um, she, that match at the US Open for me was one of the best matches she's actually played and lost since her comeback from having Olympia um as a was just nails in that match like i was courtside side for that match and it was unbelievable tennis in the third set i mean that was
0: the best tennis match
1: oh it was i mean <laughs> serena was so it was the best serena i'd seen in the first set in a long time super super focused not demonstrative very focused very much old school serena and then the second set, she got very tight on one return at one love on break point. She hit a pretty routine backhand return into the net and I could see her body, it tensed up. And I went, uh-oh, uh-oh. She just got tight. And so, as a Renka, being a smart player that she is and very EI, it was like, oh, I saw that. And that relaxed her a little bit because Serena was playing so well at that point that nobody could beat her. But then you saw a little bit of a, a chink in the armor and no you could tell that... Vika just said "Look, I'm just going to hang around now and she did, and she played unbelievable in the third set. She was the better player in the in the end but and you saw it flip in the final, you know, killing just absolutely routing Osaka in the final and then had that opportunity to go three love and had a for her a relatively easy backhand to really go for it down the line and she went with the safer one cross court, and she didn't do enough with it, and Osaka sensed it. Won the point, and you could tell right away from that moment, uh-oh, we've got a whole different match now. Um, so when people say, oh, how do you know that? You know as a player, a former player, me as a commentator, those are the times where you have to say the match just turned right there, even though people think you're nuts because the person's getting wiped off the court. There's moments when you're playing against a great player, you know that it can change on a dime, and it did in both of those matches. As far as Serena, I, nobody wants to see her break that record more than me, Craig. I mean, nobody, but I think it's becoming more and more difficult. And her best chance was at Wimbledon. And sadly that was taken away from her this year. Can she hang around long enough? Australian Open has always been a great place for her to play as well. So the Australian and Wimbledon are her best chances, I think next year, it's, that's it. It'll be the next year or it will be never.
0: Her tennis has been good. And um, it's, it's, you know, just a, uh, just as an aside I mean to be 39 years old and to be getting to the last weekend of tournaments any tournament <laughs> is incredible
1: oh, oh yes yeah, she's unbelievable I mean I don't want to even take away from that but yeah you know, for Serena everything's yeah. a failure except winning you no, know? Doubt. So, no doubt so, uh,
0: let's move into our fifth and final set how do you feel about tennis at this moment
1: um, I think the women's is um, got a lot more storylines, uh, a lot more interesting storylines. Uh, lines, I think there's more um, great rivalries, you know, mini rivalries um, across the board. I think Naomi stepping into the spotlight again and sort of carrying the, the banner for social um, justice and what she's done at 22 years' age, winning three Grand Slams. I think she's definitely a story. She's um, been an incredible story for women's tennis. I knew there's no way she was going to play the French. I just felt that she needed to step away from, and I think it was the right thing for her to do. Um, And, you know, you still got Serena hanging around there trying to do what she's doing, Uh, Halep and, you know, all these players that that are stepping on the, uh, winning more Grand Slams. Um, And the men, it's interesting because without Rafa and Roger at the US Open, You know, it was, it was, it's going to be a big void uh, when those two players stop playing. And as much as Novak is, you know, will go down as the most Grand Slams, I feel, um, in men's tennis, he is polarizing and he is not universally loved. And his his fans love him and for good reason. He's done some, um, I mean, just, I mean, phenomenal things in tennis. It's crazy, crazy. But he, Is not universally loved, and so that hurts the sport. You know, Roger is universally loved, and everybody knows him, and Rafa as well. And and um, you know, on the men's side, they're really going to have to start stepping up to the plate. And Dominic team winning the US Open, okay, it helps. Um, Zverev finally, almost winning a Grand Slam, that helps. But those guys are going to have to start winning Grand Slams for them to get the the notoriety and the fan base behind them, um, and they and men's tennis needs it because Rafa and Roger are not going to be there forever. Um, so, I think combining the tours would be a very smart thing for the men. Okay, and they're the ones that are like not on board with that, and they're fighting that, and they're fighting equal prize money. And the people like Novak and Vasek have have said they're on the records saying that women shouldn't have equal prize money at slams. And I'm like, well let's play best of three then okay at the grand slams and then we don't even have to talk about this they the guys play best of five and the women so why should the women be getting equal prize money i'm like i've sat through five setters that are as boring as f okay and i don't need to sit through another five setter now i've sat through some great five setters and i've sat through some great three setters okay so the the set that everyone remembers is the fifth set it's the last set, okay? So. If you want to go on and bang on about the equal prize money because of the sets. And then people say, well, then women should play best of five. Well, no, let's let the men play best of three. Like let's make them give a shit every set because I've seen guys tank sets all the time in men's tennis. Okay. But if you can't tank a set because you're down to break and you're like, I can't be bothered trying to get back. Let's just go into the fourth set of this set. That won't happen in best of three. Every point will count. And if a guy comes on and says, Oh, I haven't tanked a set or a game. You're lying. There is no way. There's not one guy that would say, maybe Rafa. Maybe he's an exception to the rule. I mean, I saw, I've, I've seen a guy tank a set in a final of a Grand Slam because he was just like, what's the point? Let's just go to the fifth set. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's things yeah. that have changed. But I think the most important thing is that the two join. joined. That is the most important thing for, the, for the, the sanctity of the sport, for the longevity of the sport, and for the health of the sport. The two is need to be combined. There is no doubt about it.
0: How about the coolness of the sport? Like, let's get it moving. It'd be so cool.
1: Yeah. And then you could have some combined, you know, a lot more combined events. You could have maybe mixed doubles at some events. I mean, let's make tennis fun again, you know, and let's not make it so predictable. And I think that's a vital, it's vital for tennis to start exploring new ways to promote the sport. And, you know, cricket is a great example. And Americans don't really know cricket or understand it, but I do. And test cricket is played over five days and it's the traditional thing. And it is boring as F, but there are traditionalists that love it. Okay. But I can tell you the most popular cricket is 30, 30 cricket, which means it's basically like quick, quick, quick. And and, you know, super fun. It's like basically like the home run derby every day. Um, And it's fun and it's, it's exciting and it's played over two or three hours and it's done and tennis needs to adapt to that. And You know, we're going to the tiebreak in the fifth, and they're always trying to shorten it. It's like, well, I don't know. And I think if anyone would do it, it would be the Australian Open. They'd be the first one to sort of say, all right, we're going to do best of three or something like that, and maybe in the semis and finals we do best of five. But And a lot more men would play doubles if that was the case as well, I think.
0: No doubt. Uh, Renee Stubbs, um, I trust that I'll be um, bumping into – your tweets and your social media uh, over the next couple weeks, and listen, uh, have a terrific uh, French Open from the East Village. And I
1: will. I'll be. I'll be planted watching. uh, You know, a lot of tennis on clay, uh, which I love. And my podcasting partner for the Racket Magazine, of course, as you know, is Caitlin Thompson. And nobody loves clay like Caitlin. I actually had a guy on Twitter say to Caitlin about that clay should be removed as a tennis, um, played on tennis should be removed from playing on clay. I'm like, are you smoking crack? It's like, come on. Um, that's the beauty of tennis and why it's so difficult is that tennis is played on different surfaces. And so for me, that is why tennis is the most difficult sport in the world.
0: I, I I, I, I feel like, um, you know, the clay court, the true real clay court the, those the great clay courts are like a living breathing beast and you got to conquer yeah. that beast and it's amazing feeling to slide through clay if you know how to slide
1: <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I, know. No. Listen, I I was not a great clay quarter because it obviously didn't lend itself super well to my 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 attacking style of tennis but oh my god i loved sliding i could slide for days on clay like i loved that about it and when i stepped foot on the courts at at the french open i was just like oh my god these clay courts are just perfect they're, they're magic and you'd come you'd come from playing on like shitty clay in like germany that was heavy and you couldn't really slide and like bad clay in like other parts of france it was slippery and then you'd get to roland garros and you'd be like this is what it should feel like underfoot um so yeah i i could slide like nobody's business mate.
0: the, the terabat too is the greatest clay they say uh renee stubbs you are released thank you very much
1: thank you craig have a good uh french open yourself
0: i'll see Beautiful. you soon okay thank All you right. bye Huge thank you to Renee Stubbs and thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at sergiotacchini.com and use my code CRAIG30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. We just re-upped the tennis t-shirt of 2020, the quarantine classic, and we are taking orders for the Blanc, the Terrabattu, and the Vare. Shoot me a note if you want to get on that program. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.